Welcome to the Sum of It All Street Data Podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring the book Street Data, a next generation model for equity, pedagogy, and school transformation by Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. This week, we're chatting about chapter four, Pound the Pavement, Digging into the Levels of Data. And this is the second chapter, uh, part two of part two, which is entitled Choose the Margins. And I think it's worth us just spending just a moment just to talk about choosing the margins because I think Mm -hmm. it's counterintuitive, right? I think we often want to still figure out what that average, that mythical average is and design for the middle. Um, But there's a cartoon I love that really hits at the heart of why we choose the margins. And The cartoon has someone shoveling snow outside a building with all these people, like a big group of people waiting to get access. And the shoveler is working diligently on shoveling the snow off of the stairs, leaving the ramp full of snow. And the caption is from a person using the wheelchair is something like, if you shoveled the ramp, we could all get into the building, right? And this idea of if we designed for the margins and we thought about our most marginalized people, it actually might be helpful for everyone. Yeah, I, I know the cartoon you're talking about, Audrey. I, I'm picturing it in my mind as you're describing it. And it's just such a great connection with Universal Design for U- Learning or UDL. Um, that phrase comes to mind, essential for some, good for all. Um, but to be clear, I think really when we say that phrase, what we mean is that we really have to know our students well to realize that a ramp is important or maybe even essential for some of our students. and then. We, we can realize that providing that ramp as an option or an opportunity, it can become good for those who choose to use it, right? So in this chapter of street data, it's, it's really a great reminder of what do we mean by knowing our students? Like, what, what does that look and sound like, right? Right, right. And so centering the voices of those at the margins is just crucial and it's essential, So this chapter marks a movement, and as the author state, from the concept of street data to the practice of street data. And, you know, the concept of street data is already resonating really strongly with me, especially in my experience as a math teacher and thinking about big data versus street data. But the how is still super fuzzy. So I'm excited for this chapter as a place for us to begin that conversation. Um, And right off the bat, there's a quote that says, Uh, We need mechanisms for listening to elders, community leaders, and students and families at the margins who can collaborate with us to reimagine outdated approaches. And the with here is both, uh, it's it's marked in italics in the quote, it's it's Mm. emphasized in the chapter. The with is key. You know, I think uh, the authors added the emphasis for a reason about, you know, like how often are we listening in order to check a box that says we've complied, we've done what we were supposed to do. Like yeah. we we listen to people mm-hmm. versus actually listen. And and so I think there's a, that there's a reason behind why there's this whole chapter devoted to listening. Um, it's not something I think we do well. And you know, a few years ago, Mark, you and I were in a, a different book club prior right. to podcast years, mm-hmm. um, and we read a, a book by Margaret Wheatley called Turning to One Another. And the tagline for the book is Simple Conversations to Restore Hope to the future. And, you know, maybe, maybe here in this chapter and also in Margaret's work where I'm making this tie, there's, there's some important stuff here about slowing down, 
and listening and being in conversation with one another. Oh, yeah, for sure. Gosh, just that title of that book we read, Simple Conversations to Restore Hope to the Future. Um, Margaret is is just wonderful with her word selection in so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, one more thing about that book, Audrey, I, I think it's so different than any other book that I've read as an educator. Um, and uh, I want to pull out her last, the last sentence that the authors uh, use in the quote from her um, in this particular chapter. And here it is. We get this minuscule look at what's actually going on for children. Wow. Margaret just really has a way to, to really just use a few words to make such a, such an important point. And it just makes me reflect on when in the past, I have to admit, Audrey, I have used narrow means to make judgments about students. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit. And I may have missed an entire side to, the, to my students that would have been so ripe to leverage to support their learning. Um, so, Audrey, this chapter is really about moving from concept to practice, right? As the authors state on page 69, learning how to facilitate an equity transformation cycle that fundamentally shifts our ways of working together. What would this look like? And how does it differ from other models of improvement? Um, So that sort of sets our course for our conversation today, Audrey, I think. And um, just to call it out, right? There are certainly multiple methods of improvement out there, right? I think you and I have encountered some of them. So it might be interesting to talk a bit about what makes this model on that's based on street data, what what makes it different and unique? Yeah, great segue into the chapter. So I think like in previous episodes, I think the best way for us to start is to head to those discussion questions, those reflection questions Mm. at the end of the Mm -hmm. chapter. Um, And based on what you're saying, Mark, I think it might be awesome for us to start in with question number two, which says, what do you see as the key differences between improvement science, like PDSA, plan, do, study, act cycles, and Mm -hmm. the street data model? Uh, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind if we're going to tackle that difference, Audrey, is I'm just going to start with a quote, quote on page 77. And here it is. Equity-centered transformation always, always begins with deep listening. And I like how they included the second always there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it really hit me when the authors mentioned how the listening portion is missing as a starting point of a PDSA cycle. Um the listening really makes sense though, right? Mm-hmm. When when a group of people gather together to develop a change idea, um, you know, there can be a lot of bias about how those ideas are developed and selected um, without really getting key voices at the table on the front end, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty easy to exclude the perspective of those most essential stakeholders. Um, and Audrey, I just even kind of wonder how much of this is related to the concept of holding power and assume knowledge of what's best, you know, back to that. I know we've talked about this before where it's like, I'm the educator. I have all the wonderful strategies. So we will be the ones that will figure this out and we will bring it to you. Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, I see commonalities between improvement science and street data. Like I I think they're both founded and it sounds like, as I'm learning about street data in curiosity and they require that you take action. Mm. But, um, and I can I can think back to my own experiences with improvement science that we've done with specific projects and work. And we did spend a long time diving into root causes before we ran 
PDSA cycles. So I'm not trying to say that it's exclusive. I don't think the authors are trying to say that either, but, but I think deep listening positions us to really seek out those root causes over quick Mm. fixes, as the authors say. Um, They have this quote that just sticks with me. It says, we don't need improvement. We need an approach that fundamentally and radically transforms the experiences of children's and families at the margins. And I think that's maybe where the differences start for me is that um, any improvement, any little incremental change in improvement science is an improvement, right? That's where we're, they center. That's what's centered, I guess. And it's different with street data, right? Um, one of the things I think that is most different for me that I see is that in street data, the approach to data collection is just as important as any insight, understanding, or actions that emerge. And the authors say that. The ends don't justify the means. And this feels so much like the shifts that we're asking for in math class. Like, like in math class, we've been saying for years now, you and I and a whole bunch of our colleagues, like it's not just about the answer, but it's about the process of thinking, right? It's about all of the things that went in to get you to the answer that matters. And it seems like there's a real parallel here. Like it's not just about insight you gather from the data, but it's this process of collecting the data that has this huge opportunity for richness, for growth, for learning, right? That matters. And we can't skip past it to just run straight to the insight at the end. Well, that's pretty insightful, Audrey. I never thought about uh, those two processes being connected like that with the math learning and uh, with street data. That's super interesting. Um, you know, another key intri- uh, difference that that I was thinking about um, is how the street model is more of a partnership. And you kind of said this at the at the beginning of our conversation today when you were using that word with. Um, and that took me right back to season two with Paulo Tan's human mm-hmm. humanizing disability mm-hmm. and how like just the very language that we use um, when something is with uh, versus something that is for someone, um, I think is is super interesting to think about and really can those words can change the trajectory of what we actually are doing. Um, and so that, you know, the by, with, to all those words are interesting to think about, like, which words am I using? And how does that signal who is really of importance in this particular situation? And and what where's the power dynamic? Yeah, so I am with you 100% on that. And I think that what seems key here is that the process of street data, that the gathering of data itself can be what the authors call the healing. And, you know, I, I've seen our data techs in our districts and in our LEAs sit in front of a computer and put in code into a platform that produces hundreds of sheets of paper printouts. And there's no way that anyone's going to tell me that was a healing process for anyone, right? <laughs> Likely um, not. <laughs> or you go back further and say, I've seen the students sitting in front of a computer screen. I've seen the students mm. sitting with their bubble sheet and their pencil and their paper silently on their own, completing an assessment. Nobody's going to tell me that that's a healing process. And mm. I, actually, we know it's the exact opposite. We know that there's trauma and pain caused for many individuals that still tell us now as adults, those moments of test taking were traumatic and painful for them. It's not a healing process, right? So I think this is a fundamental shift to say like this street data, the gathering of the data itself 
can be healing, which is very different from what we're talking about in other in other models. Yeah, you know, Audrey, when you mentioned math trauma, uh, something came to mind uh, as a connection to that. Um, you know, uh, the approach uh, Dear Math uh, by Sarah Strong. Um, in that particular approach, students write a letter to math to voice their experience with it. And uh, it made me think about how that could kind of combine the, the deep listening that we're talking about and how that could be a benefit to the participant, also to the facilitator of the learning. Um, because the facilitator could take the role of a listener and listen deeply to the experience of the participant. I think a lot of times the things around trauma, especially math trauma, are, are kept down deep inside of a person. And it takes certain triggers to bring those things out, usually in a, in a negative space. So um, I just thinking about how the information that could be gathered could provide guidance on how to move forward with the intended outcomes in, in a mathematics environment. Well, I think that's a great segue, Mark, into another question I was hoping we might tackle for a bit here, which is uh, the reflection question number four. And the authors ask, how will you develop your practice around the core stance of deep listening? Does it get hard for you to listen deeply? And how do you stay grounded in this stance? Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Audrey. And, you know, when I was reading the book and, you know, as we've been doing with this text in this season, just really thinking about what does this have to do with mathematics? And the thing that bubbled up for me was, you know, the way that, you know, when we think about our most marginalized students in mathematics, right? Um, the more we marginalize students in math, the less we actually listen to their thinking. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I see this in the ways that we often do intervention, right? How intervention looks and sounds in, in mathematics. Um, there's more teacher voice than student voice in these environments. It, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic when you think about it, right? Like yeah. um, what our most marginalized students need is more time to do more thinking and more support to continue thinking. Um, more validation and encouragement to make sense of the mathematics. But what do we do instead? We pull them aside to explain stuff to them louder and slower, which really keeps the power of thinking with the adult instead of with the student. And I'm just thinking about how much more we might learn about our students, whom we have labeled strugglers, if we make space to really listen to them about their experiences with mathematics and about what they're thinking about in mathematics. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really interesting connection, Mark. And, you know, it's making me think a lot about, again, Margaret Wheatley's work. And I know that's why the authors have, you know, cited her in here. But when when she when Margaret talks about conversations, she talks about some principles that we need to kind of develop or understand. Um, and one is that, and I'm hearing these, I guess, in the space that you're talking about, one is that we recognize we need each other's help to become better listeners, right? And so one of the things I'm thinking about already as you're talking about that example is like the spaces in which students and teachers need each other to become better listeners. Um, she mm. talks about how we need to stay curious about each other. Um, and I know we've talked about that a little bit in previous seasons about curiosity about each other's ideas um, and teachers be curious about their students. But the last one is that we have to expect it to be messy at times. Um, and what I'm thinking about right now as you're describing it is how messy listening can be. Yeah, yeah, uh, well put, I, I agree. Um, 
And you know, another example around this idea of listening that's that's um, that I'm connecting to is the approach of cognitively guided instruction uh, known as CGI. And in this approach, the idea is for the adult to seek to understand a student's thinking versus listening to see if listening and watching to see if a student can repeat back some kind of standard procedure that may or may not have any meaning for them. And, you know, Audrey, the more I think about it, the, the heart of CGI is really a deep respect for the capability of each child to make sense of mathematics on their own. And I think it also ties very nicely to that mindset of curiosity aspect of street data, right? When I listen to the student, I, I'm listening because of a curiosity. I'm not just listening for a right answer. I'm actually curious to see how a student might think about something um, versus I'm listening, getting ready to pounce on any misconceptions and quickly correct the student who is wrong about their thinking and, oh, this is what you need to fix it and this is how you should have thought about it. So that very difference between um, somebody might be using a CGI approach versus the correcting traditional approach, I think really has interest with what we're talking about with street data. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Mark, and I, I can see in, I can see that connection between staying curious um, in order to listen deeply. And I, I appreciate you pulling that out there in that example. Yeah, and, and you know what? There's a quote in the chapter that I think fits kind of nicely with this idea of CGI. And it says, here we use the word listening in the broadest sense as a physical, emotional, cognitive, and even spiritual act rather than a clinical method of gathering data. And when I think of what people do in classrooms when they're using to inform how they teach, there's nothing about it that seems clinical. Like that word clinical jumped out at me when I was reading that quote. Um, it, it seems like if I'm using CGI as an approach to guide my instructional decisions for my students, I can use the ideas around street data to validate listening to my students' unique ideas and thinking about mathematics and be able to give honor to our students in the process. Yeah, I I think that's right on, Mark. And, you know, what I'm I guess what I'm pushed up to think about at this point is that the listening in the moment is what you're kind of describing with CGI. Like, sure. like teachers are in the room with the students listening to them in the moment mm -hmm. and developing that skill is important. But then there's this other aspect of listening um, that the authors kind of pushes into, which I think is interesting. Um, they have this section called Voices from the Street and Alyssa and her mother are sharing their stories about an experience that Alyssa had in school. And reading those words, and again, we're reading the story. It's not a video clip. It's just the story is written word. I can't see Alyssa's face. I can't hear her emotions. Um, and yet I'm reading it and trying to listen authentically. And I'm reading Jackie's or Alyssa's mom's words. And I literally have tears of frustration welling in my eyes. And I'm not sure that if I had been in person trying to listen, that I would have actually mm. been able to listen. Mm. Um, I found myself having to reread parts. And I know that's not possible when someone says something in real time with you, right? You can't say, wait, rewind and say that exit. <laughs> People say that, and yet we can't rewind and say it again the same way. Um, 
And I'm, and I'm not saying that I, I don't want to listen to Alyssa. I just, or that I don't believe her words or her experiences. It, it's, it's something that's just so awful that I don't want it to be true. Right. I don't want this to be how we, how collectively us as educators act or treat any of our students. And so listening can also be both in real life in the moment and listening on paper, I guess, can be painful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. Audrey, I really appreciate your honesty on in that whole vignette because, um, there's just so many things that can get in the way of us truly listening to our students and to our families. Um, one example comes to mind from the text and um, it's a quote and it says, what assumptions, stereotypes, or deficit-based scripts am I holding right now? How can I press pause and open up new ways of thinking and understanding? What are the limitations of my own cultural frame? And how can I listen for the assets and cultural wealth that the speaker possesses? And what I'm thinking about with this, Audrey, with those just powerful questions with the italics on, on page 78 to 79, what if I ask myself these questions before interviewing my students about their mathematical understandings? How much would this develop what the authors mentions as our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them mm -hmm. and them meaning our students. Yeah, those questions are so powerful. And I think there's something that we can definitely try on and for ourselves in, in order to become better listeners. So I really appreciate you, you pulling those out. Um, we're getting to that time though. We have so much to discuss and yet <laughs> uh, time is clicking, clicking away. What are your final thoughts uh, from this chapter? Well, I, Audrey, I'm, I'm st something still resonating, resonating with what we talked about earlier around math trauma. And, you know, based on some of the things that you said earlier, I'm just wondering if using street data to in interrupt math inequities, it will also help us reduce math trauma for our most marginalized students. Hmm. That would be wonderful. So I'm hopeful that as we investigate this more, we can we can see ways that we can use it in that way. I think one of the things I'm still walking away, I'm pondering um, and trying to figure out a little bit more is this that they talk about how street data centers well-being. Like they went back to that again. And I know you've talked about this in previous episodes. Um, but I I I noticed when they said that this this equity transformation cycle, which they spent a lot of the chapter discussing, shifts us from evaluating outcomes to valuing well-being. And, and I think this idea of centering well-being, which is educators and students' well-being, like that they experience, as the author says, healing, agency, joy, and connection, that mm -hmm. if they can feel that, then they are better able to then dismantle these oppressive practices and structures and then cultivate deep learning. And so I'm super interested in thinking more about that. Um, I'm seeing this as the a thread that is essential in in the street data process and so um i'm really curious to to kind of keep thinking about that more yeah i i, I really appreciate you bringing back that well-being piece into things audrey i'm going to squeeze in one more one more yeah. example there's so much here and let me just get this last example in um because for those of you that work with young children there is just a wonderful example on page 89 it's actually uh from a kindergarten uh, perspective uh, working with kindergarten students and uh, 
as you know, Audrey, I have a real passion around improving environments of learning for our, our youngest students, TK students, kinder students. And oh my goodness, they have such wonderful interview questions that are that are not even interview questions to sort of just talk to a kid, again, back to the, not at, but with. It's, it's they're questions that could form a conversation, a two-way conversation about problem solving around things that students might have trouble doing as simple as sitting still in, in a kindergarten classroom. And I started thinking about like, wow, what if we had those co-constructing conversations around how math is going in the classroom with students? Um, and again, students that are being marginalized and we think that, oh, stu these students will not be successful in mathematics. But what if we were taking more of a co-approach to um, problem solving some of the things that are happening? So, um, I, Audrey, I just had to share that that just such wonderful example um, with our youngest learners, right? It really is. And I'm so glad you brought that out into this into this space. It was a great example um, and so much for us to learn about as we think about how we become better listeners. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about Chapter 5, Redefine Success, Street Data and the Pedagogy of Voice. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on transforming education. <music>